Hi guys, this is Jake Parker. Welcome back to another episode of the Beyond Fit podcast, where it's my job to help you apply knowledge that is both scientific and practical into your own life to maximize your physique development and your overall body, as well as your mind. The combination of these two things is what makes you Beyond Fit. All right, guys, this is the Beyond Fit podcast. I'm your host, Jake Parker. I know that there's been quite a few episodes here that have been all me. I usually would have scheduled a couple guest interviews by this point, but just had a couple of those pushed back for various reasons. So happy to do a few individual episodes in a row here. Generally, the way that I structure the podcast or the way that it works out is I like to reach out to a lot of guests, you know, past guests or potential guests all at once, and then try to schedule them all in a couple months time, and then release those episodes periodically. And then whenever I have a small break in between the periods of having guest episodes recorded, and being in the process of recording, or scheduling, I like to release some solo episodes of just things that I've been thinking about, or things that I think would be helpful to you. Uh, And sometimes if I really feel like I have a strong idea, I'll even include a solo episode in the middle of some guest posts that I have or guest episodes rather. And so I think that this one is going to help you guys out a lot. It's another random show, which I've done before. And you guys have always seemed to like a few pretty fitness specific and kind of quantitative topics to start out. Those are going to be progressive overload and specifically I want to talk a little bit about how to induce progressive overload, which recently I talked about double progression and dynamic double progression, but I want to talk about the other forms of overloading and where progressive overload can go wrong. And then lean bulking, what exactly that means, how to go about it, what that process looks like for me, because I'm currently in a very sustained lean bulk. And then a little bit on ab training and where I think most people go wrong with that. The last two topics are things that I just think you guys will find interesting that are kind of on top of mind for me. And that is education versus knowledge and reading good books. And specifically how I pick books and how I read books and how I try to remember what I read from my books. So I know that a lot of you guys that listen to this are readers, and I think that you'll really enjoy that last part a lot. So Without further ado, jumping into the first part here, which is progressive overload. I just wanna go over here the six forms of progressive overload as I see it. This is something that I talk a lot about with clients and that I've talked about before on the podcast or on Instagram. And the first two ways are the most obvious and are the most common because they are increasing weight or increasing reps. So when you have a certain progression scheme, like I talked about recently on the podcast, being double progression or dynamic double progression, the main focus is going to be increasing weight and reps over time. And again, those are the most obvious and what most of us have focused on for most of our lifting career. I know that even though I didn't quite have a full grasp on progressive overload and probably fell victim to one of the main mistakes, which I'm going to talk about when I was lifting in my teenage years, I think I intuitively understood that I wanted to get bigger and stronger over time. And that required adding weight to the bar, adding reps to my lifts. 
Um, but I wish that I would have realized the importance of some other things like the other four methods that I mention often, which are increased range of motion or improved form. Either one of those two, I kind of group them together. Better mind-muscle connection, so just feeling the lift better. Feeling, say, the ability to really contract your delts when you're doing delt work like lateral raises or really get a good hard squeeze on your biceps when you're doing biceps work. And a lot of times I tell people that these more isolation exercises are going to be what is more important and more noticeable and more salient when it comes to progressively overloading by way of increased mind muscle connection, because a lot of compound lifts like the bench press, the squat, the deadlift are so technical that you just want to focus on doing them well and doing them in a technically proficient way before, or even instead of, for the most part, focusing on like for the bench press, really firing your chest and really feeling it in your chest. You want that to be somewhat of the focus, but again, it's so technical and it's such a heavy and intensive lift that a lot of the focus is just going to be on doing it safely, uh, doing it well, doing it technically proficient, all those things. So think about this more so on isolation lifts. When it comes to isolation lifts, you're able to better get mind-muscle connection, but keeping in mind that you can also, you know, do things like feel your rows and things like that better in your back, as opposed to feeling them in your arms. Um, fixing things like that too can also attribute to mind muscle connection. So I remember something I've overcome in the past is, like I just said, not pulling so much with my arms on back movements, but pulling more so with my elbows is how I like to think about it. So I'm engaging the back more directly and really flexing and stretching those muscles in my back, like the lats, the traps, the rhomboids, and all those muscles that make on my back. I've talked a lot about before that I think back training is so important because it really is the basis of helping us maintain an upright posture and overcoming some of the forward lean that really seems to happen a lot, especially as people age. Uh, so I generally will pull and do back movements about twice as much as I'll do uh, anything for the anterior chain or that front part of the body, mainly being like chest movements um, and other push movements. Slower tempo is another way to induce progressive overload. So if you go from like a one second eccentric, which is the lowering portion to like a three second eccentric and lowering that weight with a one, two, three count, as opposed to just letting it drop, that's going to induce overload too. So think about all these different ways uh, and then in addition, the last one just being decreased rest, and that can be decreased rest by way of less rest in between sets. Or if you just look at your workout as a whole, and one day you get it done in X amount of time, say an hour, and then a week later or a month later or whatever, you get that same workout done in 50 minutes or 55 minutes, and you're still doing as much uh, weight and volume in terms of reps and sets and everything then you know you've progressive over, progressively overloaded by way of decreased rest just as a whole. And even if you're not counting that specific rest in between your sets. So those are the six ways that you can progressively overload, increase weight, increase reps, increase range of motion or improve form being the third, the fourth being better mind muscle connection, and then slower tempo or decreased rest. I think the really important thing to note, and it's the same thing that I'm going to talk about with the lean bulking here in a second, is that progressive overload really takes place over a long period of time. So you may not realize that you're getting progressively better and better at performing a lift 
and getting better range of motion and getting better mind muscle connection. But those are the things that happen when we lift for a long time. And so it's not always necessarily that intentional progressive overload where you're focused on improving one specific aspect of your training, but just always focusing on getting better and refining is going to make you progressively overload in the long term. And then in addition to that, sometimes the gains really start to become so slow as you become more advanced in your training. But the more you focus on a few main lifts and get better at those over time and add weight over time, because that's always the ultimate goal, your body is going to have to continue to get better and get stronger and gain muscle as you continue to do these movements and really pound your body and not pound it in a bad way, but just really continue to do these similar movements that you know are conducive to muscle gain in the areas that you want. Um, even if it seems like the progress is really slow, gaining a few reps over the course of weeks or months starts to become the goal over time. And again, it's like almost invisible progressive overload where you start to feel a better mind muscle connection. You really start to master the range of motion and stuff like that. And you might not even realize it, but I think this is where it becomes important to take progress pictures. I've, I've really noticed this a lot with my back and my back is a part of my body that I've taken a lot of progress pictures with where it's really improved and gotten bigger and stronger and wider and just fuller over time. And I think a lot of that has to do with increasing my mind muscle connection and my attention to form on my rowing and deadlifts and stuff like that. So it's not always obvious. It's not always obviously going to be increasing weights and reps every week. It's nice when you can do that when you're really in a steady bulk, or maybe if you're a beginner, but that's not going to be the case most of the time. So you have to think about just really playing the long game with progressive overload would be, would be my advice. Um, where I see progressive overload going wrong is again, like I said, I knew from a young age that it was important to try to go heavier on my list, but I think I took that too far and really sacrificed form a lot of the times just to really lift heavy and try to lift heavier and go up in weight on my lifts. Specifically, I'm always reminded of the bench press, like the big bro exercise that everyone would point to, uh, in the gym, you know, people ask, how much do you bench? You know, you see guys multiple times a week going and doing the bench. It's always one of the most filled up uh, spots at the gym. And I think this is one of those lifts where you can really see people just going for tons of weight. Maybe they're getting a spotter. Maybe they're really grinding out reps and not even touching their chest. Maybe they're bouncing the weight off their chest. And this is where progressive overload goes wrong. If you're just overloading weight for the sake of doing it and you're sacrificing form or you're getting help or you're just not technically proficient at all, or you're just doing things like really arching your back and not using proper form in order to get more weight up, then you haven't really, you haven't progressively overloaded. You've just found a way to move heavier weight in a little bit more, I guess I would hesitate to call it efficient because it's really not efficient for muscle growth, but just a little bit easier way to move heavier weight is not progressively overloading. When you think of progressively overloading, especially in terms of weight or reps, those reps and lifting that weight have to look basically exactly the same as the reps previously or the weight previously looked in order to really know that you've induced progressive overload. So that is the main and really the only driver of muscle growth is progressively overloading your muscles, but there's so many ways to go about it. And so don't just think that you have to blindly push weights and reps, because even if you think about that intuitively, if I can bench about 250 right now, I can't just add pounds and pounds and pounds over the course of months or years. You know, I'm not eventually going to be benching 800, 900, a thousand pounds, like a champion powerlifter, especially, you know, with my body type and my focus and my 
propensity to stay around the same weight. I mean, that should be obvious to most people. So like you can't just linearly progress your body in weights and reps. You really have to focus on some of the more minute things over time. Uh, so that brings us to lean bulking. I think that being in a really strong and steady lean bulk is one of the best ways to really shoot for progressive overload over a long period of time. For me, it's even taking shape uh, where it's looking like about, I'd say I've been progressively, or excuse me, I've been lean bulking since maybe last September or October, and I don't plan on stopping until at least a year into this lean bulk, maybe more. Basically, what I'm looking for is whenever I get to about 15, 16% body fat, I'll probably uh, cut a little bit back down. But what's helped a lot in something that I've recently started implementing, and I've talked about a little bit in the podcast too, is uh, mini cutting, where you just take a week or maybe two weeks at max to cut some of the excess body fat that you have, so that basically you can just continue to lean bulk for longer. And what a lean bulk is, if you're not completely familiar with that, is bulking, putting on weight, putting on muscle specifically, but trying to do so in a way that is not going to make you gain a lot of body fat. You're always probably going to have to gain some body fat unless you fall into one of the extraneous circumstances where you're really untrained or you're already pretty overweight. Um, but if you don't fall into one of those categories, if you are going to put on muscle, you are going to put on a little bit of body fat. So lean bulking basically means eating about two to 300 calories over your maintenance on a regular basis, on a day-to-day -day basis, averaged out overall. I always say, you know, that it's averaged out. And like with clients, I am always tracking weekly calories as opposed to just daily calories, because I think the really big thing is being able to look at this again in the long term. Um, with my own counting calories, it's become a lot more of a, am I gaining the small amount of weight I want to over time versus am I just hitting this calorie target day after day? Because I think where a lot of people get tripped up is, okay, I hit my calories five out of six days of the week, but, or sorry, six out of seven days of the week. But if the one day off was totally fucked up and you either went way, way, way low, if you're trying to put on weight or you went way, way, way high with calories, if you're trying to cut fat. Uh, it really can ruin the whole process. And so I, I really do focus less now on the day-to-day -day of making sure that my calories are accurate, even though because I have a strong plan in place where it's three really similarly, similarly uh, proportioned meals throughout the day, I'm usually getting close to that target I want to hit. But more so than anything, I'm making sure that on a weekly, on a monthly basis, I'm gaining just a little bit of weight and that I am hitting a small, like I said, two to 300 calorie surplus on a daily basis, but that's averaged out. So for more, I guess, quantitative information, um, someone like me who's been properly weight training for three to four years, and I say properly, which is another important note here. Like when you look at charts, like the one I have in front of me, and it says this many years of proper training um, means that you can gain about this amount of muscle mass. Don't look at just all of the years that you've been exercising or quote unquote training. Really just think about how long you've been doing it proficiently and how long you've been applying progressive overload and understanding caloric balance and really lifting in an evidence-based way as opposed to just sporadically. Because if you do about 10 years of sporadic weightlifting, which is almost what happened to me, you can almost enter into a phase of newbie gains again when you start to program correctly and understand some of these big rocks and how to apply them. Um, so anyway, someone like me who is maybe three to four years, if not more into proper weight training, 
I can expect to put on about uh, three to seven or eight, maybe at the most pounds of muscle over the course of a year. And again, because I am pretty advanced, that's going to require a small calorie surplus. And so that's me looking to gain about a pound or two a month and maybe a little bit more than that, but that's about going to be the most. And especially considering that over the course of a year, like I said, doing this lean bulk, maybe I gain 20 pounds going up from, uh, I think the lowest I hit when I was close to 10% body fat was maybe like low one seventies. So like 172 going up to like the low to mid one nineties is quite a big shift. But the cool thing about the long lean bulk is it makes it more realistic that you're hitting this minimum of muscle that you can gain every month. Um, as long as again, you're doing things correctly, like progressively overloading, eating, eating enough protein, which I always say, is about one gram per pound of body weight for people that fall in the normal distribution of weight. If you're doing these things, if you're appropriately applying evidence-based practices, it is a long game, but you're definitely going to see noticeable progress, even if you are an intermediate or advanced. And again, going back to something I wanted to share about what a lean bulk looks like for me. So like I said, I usually am almost religious with having three square meals a day where I have a breakfast, lunch, and dinner sort of meal, even though the times can be kind of sporadic. And so because I'm eating things that are really similar, I usually know where my calories are going to fall about. And that's why for me, it's really easy to fall within either maintenance, uh, bulking calories or cutting calories, either being a surplus or a deficit. Um, and so really all it takes to get into that two or 300 calorie surplus is a couple small changes over time. So this might be a little bit of olive oil or butter with my vegetables or a little bit more than I would normally use. Um, maybe using caloric sweeteners instead of calorie-free or artificial sweeteners. So having honey or syrup, um, drinking milk or juice with a meal, some, some more liquid calories, which usually someone who's trying to lose fat, the first thing I would tell them would be to stay away from liquid calories. But some of the things that you might tell someone in a diet or trying to lose fat, you almost could tell them the opposite, or at least some antithesis of the rule when it comes to trying to bulk and trying to gain muscle, especially if that's hard for you, if gaining weight doesn't come naturally. Um, I'll buy fattier meat. So maybe 80, 20 beef or chicken thighs over chicken breast or something leaner like that. And then the last one is the funnest one. It's just allow yourself more of your favorite treats here and there. So at this point in time where I'm eating a lot of calories, I'm eating a lot more of my favorite foods like pizza, desserts, having some beers, some IPAs. Um, and the important thing to note about the two to 300 calorie surplus is as you gain muscle and your body increases in size, your calorie intake, your maintenance calories is going to continue to move up a little bit. So the calorie surplus that helps you to gain weight and gain muscle at first is going to be a moving target. It's going to move up as your body gets bigger. So that's something to remember too. Um, like I said, at the beginning, I, in the past would have been someone that would get a lot more caught up with the specifics of the calories and counting them. But I think that one thing I learned, especially from like the old school bodybuilding sort of scene is that it's much more just about, is your body doing the things you want it to do over time? Do you feel like you're getting bigger? Do you feel like you're gaining muscle? Is that reflected on the scale versus just uh, being, being super ultra neurotic about hitting your calories on a daily basis? Because at the end of the day, your calorie goal is just your best guest. And it could be still a couple hundred calories off. 
uh, especially depending on your experience with counting calories. So pay attention to your body and how you're feeling and what your body's telling you. In addition to the quantitative of the counting calories, if that's something that you want to do. The next topic I wanted to cover here, ab training. So especially as we start to get closer and closer to summer, I think that ab training and the ab training hype kind of heightens up. And I guess I'll go over what is most typical first and then what I see as being wrong with that. So most people, when they think about wanting to get abs, first of all, they don't realize that abs are really made in the kitchen. If you really want visible abs, it comes down to diet a lot more so than it comes down to however many crunches or, you know, whatever ab exercise you can do. And then speaking of crunches more specifically, I think that people should realize that abs should be trained like other parts of the body. So like you would train your chest, like you would train your back or your arms, doing them once or twice, or maybe even at most three times a week and doing them in a way that you're trying to apply progressive overload and you're focused on a good mind muscle connection and just training them enough, not completely beating them into the ground, which is what a lot of people do with ab exercises. It's very counterintuitive to think that a lot of people out there will do abs four or five, six times a week, maybe every time they're at the gym and will do things like crunches and other exercises that you can really accumulate a lot of reps because they are more so endurance type exercises. And this doesn't really make any sense based on what we know about progressive overload. If you want to have stronger abs, you need to focus on one of the six methods of progressive overload over time. And really, I would encourage anyone not to work abs probably more than twice a week because at least directly because they get hit by so many other exercises. For example, all of your heavy compounds, squats, deadlifts, bench presses to some extent, definitely overhead presses or anything you have to stabilize your core is going to work your abs. I know that a lot of advanced um, we'll say power builders or people like me who are focused on strength building and muscle building in total, and will do some power lifting and bodybuilding type stuff. A lot of people like that will not necessarily do abs on a regular basis because they get hit so hard, uh, with other movements. And so really, I think it's super overhyped is, is the short of it. Um, that is doing ab exercises every day or every other day, or doing any of these high rep crunch leg lift type stuff to try to get abs because think about how to apply, like I said, progressive overload that we see in other areas of the body to your abs. So for me, I do still do a little bit of abs, even though I feel like it might not make that big of a difference, even if I didn't. So it would probably be one of the first things I would cut out if I had to expedite my training on a weekly basis, but I will do two moves in particular a lot, which are leg raises, either captain's chair leg raises or hanging leg raises. I think that you can really feel your abs really well on these. So that's why I like those a lot. And then same with the rope cable crunch or just the cable crunch where you grab on the pulleys type system. I'm sure that hopefully you can envision that um, either a rope or maybe just a straight bar and you just take it and crunch it. And that is a really easy way to apply overload and also just get a lot better stimulus on the abs than any other traditional ab exercise. Something else I'll do a lot is an isometric, which typically ends up being planks. But I think another isometric type exercise that is underrated for your core and just it's a fantastic total body exercise is just any type of farmer carry or farmer's walks 
where you're having a stabilized through your core. And it's also great for your posterior chain for the back and for your forearms and your arms. Uh, that's a fantastic exercise that I think is just one of the most underrated in my opinion. But yeah, when it comes to abs, just realize that abs truly, if you're talking about the abs, you can see in the mirror are made in the kitchen and that it's definitely overrated to try and do tons and tons and tons of reps on abs throughout the week. Just focus on a few exercises that you can try to overload and that you have a good mind muscle connection with, and it'll really fall into place over time. If you just treat them like you treat your other muscle groups and your programming intelligently, of course, and all that good stuff. So the two last topics, not fitness centered, like the first three, but education versus knowledge. I think this is important because I guess really this does apply pretty specifically to the fitness space where I feel like I'm the type of person who is not so much focused on getting certifications and stuff like that, even though there is one I'm working on getting right now, just to kind of, I guess, prop up my credibility as a coach overall. But I think that in the fitness space, it's a fallacy to look towards just people that have the most certifications and have this education um, because fitness is the best example of something that's a lot more about habits and how to apply good habits and how to apply just the things that you know, more so than it is about knowing what the best way is, what the best exercises is, what, what the best things to eat are. And that's so subjective because there's so many things that go into the best quote unquote, um, because there's things like, do you enjoy it? How easy is it for you to uh, get over a barrier to entry? So like, for example, having a garage gym versus having to drive 20 minutes to the gym is going to make you a lot more likely to work out. Of course, knowing how to prepare healthy meals with, say, uh, chicken breast, uh, vegetables, things like that, that is going to make you a lot more prepared to make healthy choices than having no idea how to navigate your way around the kitchen. So I just get so hung up with people that think that academia and just pure education is important in the fitness space, because I mean, not that it's not important, but I think it's so much more about just how do you help people apply on a day-to-day -day basis, the things that are going to help make an impact on their life. And that's why I love being a coach, because that's really what I get to do. Uh, but beyond that, I think that where I think about the difference between education and knowledge is really how I've learned after college, where I just get to learn at my own pace and I get to learn what I want, what I want to learn. And that comes down again to a lot of just pretty, I don't know if serious is the right word, but very pragmatic and usable nonfiction, because that sort of stuff helps apply directly to my life, to my business. I felt pretty constantly frustrated in school and college because I was being forced to just learn and memorize things that I didn't necessarily care about and I didn't necessarily see the point in. And so for me, it's so much more important to try to access and gain knowledge. How do things work? How do I understand these concepts versus just memorizing things and attributing facts to your head? And again, I think that that's best evidence in the fitness space what is it worth to know something if you can't apply it? So that's just a little bit, I guess, on my own personal philosophy. Um, and then the last topic I wanted to mention here, I just mentioned my reading habit. I wanted to talk to you guys about how I read good books. So my first rule for reading good books is I'll never pick up a book that I haven't heard about twice. So 
I think that there's so many books out there and our time to read books is so limited that you really have to have a good reason to pick up a book. And for me, I listen to so many influential people on podcasts and stuff like that, that if I, you know, and I have friends too, that read books. If I don't hear about a book twice, I will not pick it up and read it. That's become a rule of mine because there's just so many good books that I want to read and everyone's got a good suggestion. And so that has to be one of the guards I put in place to make sure that I can actually get to a lot of the books that I think are going to be worth my time. Uh, Another rule that I put in place for myself is to try to read first thing in the day. And I would say either read first thing in the day or read last thing before you get to bed at night, because it's really important, I think, to just have your phone put away and be focused on just the book. Whenever I start out my days, my mornings looking at my phone, it seems like it just sucks the rest of the time away because I see the notifications, I get caught up with different things. It's really important to try to center your mind, for me at least, in the morning by reading and really committing my focus to that because the rest of the day can be so sporadic. So really setting aside some intentional time to read because it's hard to read in this day and age when we have Netflix and we have social media on our phones. It's not the most instantly gratifying thing, but it is one of the most gratifying things in the long term I can I can definitely attest to in in my life. So in addition to that, I will make sure and put all my highlights in the app Readwise, which basically is a service that will just spit your book highlights back to you in email form every day. So if you see me posting those quotes on Instagram, that's where that comes from. Um, And the last thing that I'll do in order to commit these good books, these good nonfiction books that I mostly read to memory is to do a short book report on all of the books I read. So all that consists of is the overall summary of the book, the best quotes, and then takeaways and highlights. And sometimes those will vary a little bit based on if it's a biography or one of the few fiction, fiction books I read, but that's mainly how I classify the parts of the book that I want to keep track of after I'm done reading the book. So those are some of the things that really helped me out a lot in order to read more, in order to read good books. I think that I must have one of the longest short list short lists of books to read of anybody out there, but I'm sure that a lot of you guys kind of feel the same way. So really try to commit to um, doing, again, I think that I forgot to mention this, uh, just doing like a bare minimum per day. I try to hold myself accountable to reading 20 pages a day because once you open that book, and especially if it's a thick in uh, paper book, it can feel intimidating to think about how far you have to go. But again, it's one of those just overall life philosophies that I have. It's trying to get a little bit better every day. So trying to get a little bit uh, farther through your book every day by committing to reading a certain number of pages can help you with having an endpoint. If you're like me, you really like this finite endpoint. And so that I guess is one more tip that I wanted to include in there. I uh, hope this has all been helpful for you guys. If anything needs clarification, feel free to reach out as always. But uh, only other thing you should know is that there is going to be something special coming up with the podcast very soon. So keep an eye out for something a little different that we're going to be doing. Um, I always look forward to any of your feedback. I have lots of questionnaires that I'd love for you to fill out to help make the podcast better. Um, But just feel free to, if you ever have any suggestions for the show or for a topic or guest or anything like that, to reach out to me on Instagram or by email. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you back here very soon.
Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. If you would, please take a minute out of your day to review and rate the podcast as well as subscribe. It would really help me out a lot. And if you're on Instagram, go ahead and follow me on there at jakeparker.fit and screenshot and tag me when you're listening to the show. I'll be sure to share it. And thank you personally on there.